This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Caitlin Mod Moon. The strategy inside everything is the podcast for people who think for a living. Hi, y'all. I'm back. Have you checked out in the demo yet? What Adam and Farah have been working on is amazing. And in the meantime, I'm excited to be guest hosting the strategy inside everything again. Today on the pod, we have my dear friend and fellow strategist, Nishida Tamali, joining us from the UK. Hi, Nishida. Hey, Caitlin. I'm so, so, so excited to be here and honestly, so honored you chose me for this topic. Before we jump into our topic for the day, which I think everyone is going to be really excited about, can you tell us a little bit about your career to date and how you got into strategy? I do distinctly remember the moment of um, the aha moment when I was like, oh, you know what? I think I am a strategist. And this is cutting forward a little bit when I was doing my master's at NYU. And the program kind of allowed us to um, kind of like have day jobs while we kind of did night school. So I really just got my hands dirty in a lot of different lanes of strategy. So I tried like social strategy, brand state media strategy, and kind of like just wanted to know what all of these different lanes were. And kind of after having a good feel of different lanes, that's when I realized that, oh, actually strategy is a mindset and that's just very innate to me. So I think that's, that's when I kind of was like, oh, this the strategy thing is just something that I'm innately good at, but uh, kind of coming coming back to the beginning of the career trajectory, it's been pretty unconventional. I started um, I started in mechanical engineering actually, which is like quite quite far removed from what I do on on my day job or even night job to be honest. Um, but I some would say that there's still kind of like the the realms of strategy start there. Um, and then since then, I've kind of like, you know, did my master's in, in marketing and strategy. And that's, that's, I think the strategic career path really came into being. I worked at a lot of different creative and digital agencies. Currently, I'm at my first in-house uh, job and still kind of like finding out like what strategy means to me and to people in the world. So that's the long and short of it. Yeah. I love that. I never knew that you studied or were a mechanical engineer. That's fascinating to me. And I think one of the things I love so much about the strategy inside everything is that little peek into what you're saying of how strategy has manifested for people in other areas of life or how they've stumbled into strategy in their own way as well. Um, Part of why I was excited to talk to you today is because it's a new year and because I know um, from knowing you that you have been on a bit of a personal development journey. So it felt like a perfect time to talk about how we evolve as strategists and we evolve as people and what the relationship between those two things are. So can you tell me how your personal development journey got started I love it. Personal development journey. It sounds so official and not messy, which it actually very much is. Um, I think um, the real honest answer to the, the, that is growth has always been synonymous for like synonymous to living my life for me. I think for me, not in like become successful and climb the corporate ladder kind of growth, but more like 
get to know myself better. Like, who am I? Am I living in my potential? And I think these last couple of years, has, if I, I, I think it's really honed into, am I living in my values? Um, one of the kind of exercise, or exercise I did early on in this journey was the Brené Brown core value, naming your core values exercise. I think you can find it on her website uh, for those of you who are curious. And she talks about kind of like naming two or three core values that, you know, you lean on to when you're making those big decisions in your lives. And it can't be more than two or three. And um, courage and growth were kind of the two that I narrowed down to. And, and it, it the exercise kind of forces you to think of those bigger changes or bigger transitions or big decision in your life and like really think of like what made you take those decisions and as someone who's kind of lived in four countries in the past four years I've had my fair share of like transitions and big decisions and each time the decision I made was based on am I growing as a person in my life uh, am I living in my like in my, my, my true potential and do I have the courage to take this decision for me so I think growth growth kind of has been very much the way I look at living my life so in some ways, personal development journey has has been part of my life for um, since I guess I began to think. Uh, but uh, what I kind of to call out in in that is, you know, we all talk about like having visions and visions being our north star in, in in a journey towards any kind of development, right? And one thing a fellow strategist actually had said to me. Um, in passing one time, which has, it was, it was such a wise saying. Um, she said that she's kind of opposed to having um, visions be tied to a North Star because the North Star is, and visions can evolve. And she truly preferred values being acting like your GPS and guiding you wherever you're going, right? So even if your destination changes, your values as your GPS will really guide you to a path which is true to you and uh, is still taking you towards a destination or towards, you know, whatever that vision or goal is. And even if that goal changes, that's fine. But at least your values are always letting you stay true to yourself. And I think I really um, try to practice that a lot these days. As, as Like I said, I think living in my values is, is kind of being synonymous to growth for me these days. And thinking about anytime I'm, I'm facing a, a decision, I turn back to my core values and think of like, you know, is this really me living my potential in those core values? I yeah. forgot what the... <laughs> it's okay. It's totally... Office. No, it's great. Um, I, there's a... I don't even know what to call her. I guess writer, philosopher, who I know, her name's Danielle Laporte. And mm -hmm. she has a program called the Desire Map. And it's very similar to this idea of, a, she calls it goals with soul, where if you set a goal and you have a very fixed idea of what it is, and you're on your way there, sometimes we cannot stop to check in with if we still want to be doing that, if it still feels good for us, because we're so focused on what it needs to look like. And so she says that what we should focus on is how we desire to feel. She calls them core desired feelings. If your goal is to feel in flow, free and empowered, maybe this goal is right to nurture that feeling in you, or maybe it's not. And you need to identify a different goal or a different set of circumstances or decisions that you need to make. And 
I think that advice you got about this, you know, a North star can be dangerous because it's fixed Mm -hmm. versus values, I think is super relevant, not just in the strategy context, but in this idea of like strategy for our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, what you said about the danger of it being fixed right like I I feel like so much of my life I kind of spent justifying my decisions because that's what you know like that those were fixed and they were well thought out and that is what I thought I wanted and um, to a point where actually that's probably the answer to your original question of like the the start of this this real journey in the past couple of years was uh, when I was a pretty problematic job back in 2020 when I was in Amsterdam and I, it kind of was that that mismatch between what I expected and what my decision w- was to choose that job to begin with and then the reality of how I was feeling about it. And that's when, well, now in hindsight, I know that what I was experiencing was really emotional burnout. Um, and taking that time for myself and like really questioning my choices and, you know, confronting like, what is it that I wanted? Am I doing it? Is my expectation and reality really matching? Um, that was kind of my first real radical act of self-care for myself and honestly has been a turning point in my journey to like really grow and understand myself better. And you can decline to answer this if you don't want to, but I'm curious, were there circumstances that you were able to identify within that work environment that contributed to your burnout that you now know aren't a fit for you or that maybe you take a critical lens toward in your evaluating of future work opportunities? I think the biggest one that I can say is that whenever there is more talk and less um substance behind it like you'll always know it like there'll there'll always be people companies whatever situations which kind of like hype up um we have this and we have that and we are committed to whatever diversity equity inclusion and all of that fun stuff and uh when you kind of really evaluate like what is the like again the difference between what what is what is the expectation or perceived um kind of like facade versus like what is the ground reality like what are the actions being taken uh, on a day to day to really meet those kind of big lofty goals that that can be a very clear indicator f- from from the get go. And again, a lot of this has to do with like how aware you are with your own kind of like, what do you expect? What are your, how are you showing up as a person to really recognize if the environment is supporting that or aligned with that? And um, so, yeah, one of one of the things that I would say is like that, be real about the expectation versus like, what are the hardcore facts on on the on the ground um that was the and don't try to kind of like what are they i think they say this about like relationship like you know don't fall in love with potential is the same thing with, with jobs and careers too right like you don't don't fall in love with the idea of like what this person this company this brand the strategy can be like what is the reality of it and i think that was my biggest struggle and really trying to do the right thing as I was thinking that I'm doing the right thing by pushing them towards that potential at my own cost was probably summing up the reason for my burnout because it wasn't physical for sure. Yeah. And because it wasn't physical, I almost feel like 
that's more insidious and harder to identify emotional burnout. Was there anyone who helped you realize that that was going on or something that happened that helped you say, oh, actually, this is this is a thing. This has a name and this is something I want to address. You know, it's funny because you're very right. It's very insidious and dangerous in a way because speaking up about it requires courage right so there were a lot of my peers at the time um who were kind of going through the same thing and we would have a lot of conversations about how toxic it was how you know we were not happy things needed to change it was really taking a toll on us um and yet like collect like we were not able to do much about it kind of again and that's kind of i lean back to one of my core values being courage and and having the courage to kind of say that you know what this is actually not not good for me and i need to step away from it and what really helped me was was a very practical thing that the dutch kind of government offered to um the people of netherlands which is something that should just universally be a thing but it is burnout leave and like i think i wouldn't have known this had i not you know like spoken to people about it and i think one of my friends who lived in netherlands for a lot longer she kind of said that you know do you know that the dutch government actually supports this so you should kind of like take off it and that's when i was like you know what it is literally on a platter there for me like all i need to do is have the courage to say this is what i'm experiencing and this is what i need to do for myself so it was a bit of like that emotional um state that you're in, but like a very practical solution that a system offers. Wow, that is amazing. We need we need that universally. We need more of that. Yeah. Certainly in our industry. And I do feel like my question was leading a little bit too, because I know my literacy around burnout increased exponentially when I joined the ladies who strategize community. And you're also a leader of that community. And so you have an interesting perspective as a participant, but also as a leader in seeing how the community comes together to support people who are feeling burnt out and know it or don't know it. Um, What has it been like seeing those conversations outside of your own experience? I think there's so much power in being in someone else's story, you know, and I remember, um, I think Kim, who's the founder of LWS, she was one of the first people that I actually accepted that this is something that I'm going to do for myself. I'm going to take uh, leave for emotional burnout. And her first reaction was like, she was literally like, I could hear the joy in her voice. I'm so proud of you for this for yourself. And that gave me so much courage to actually take that step. And it's it's not like, it's not just her. Like, I feel like that's the, she kind of is the embodiment of the whole community where when I started talking to people about what I was going through, the reception that I got with like, you know, what, what similar experiences that others were going through. And like, here was this entire community of so many brilliant people all over the world celebrating my decision to slow down and kind of being like, you know, yes, do this for yourself as opposed to every other conditioning that we hear about slowing down and taking time off and taking time for yourself being like bad or like, you know, something that is not to be proud of. And it was such a um, wonderful experience to just feel held by the whole community, to be honest. Yes, yes. And so you made this decision 
LWS had your back because that's what LWS does. (laughs) (laughs) What, when you first arrived at your, I am now on leave, did you jump right into self-care and personal development? How did it look? Because I do want to talk about some of the things you've done, you've tried. (laughs) Yes. And to, like I think you're you're going right into like um, the artist way as a program, which was I think one of mm. the first things that happened to kind of um, happened to come across during that time, and it's not one I actually thought of the program, but it was um, actually someone from LWS who spoke about artist way and like thinking of like starting an accountability group to like do the do the kind of twelve weeks together and I hadn't I didn't really know about it before then uh but it it was kind of one of those things that I felt like I needed to do for myself um but like before we even get into that I feel like I could talk about writing as a tool um like 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 this whole podcast could just be about writing as a tool of self-care and um something that I have always done but I think did even more so like early on in in this phase of life was really just reflect more and journal what I what I was thinking what I was feeling um more intentionally to be honest and kind of coupled with that what I did with all my time was also revisit some of like my older journals when like you know three four five years back and that was so therapeutic and healing because I was reading things and finding a new perspective and wisdom in my own words and my I think people often kind of like ask questions about like, what advice would you give to your younger self? And I kind of want to flip, flip the table and say, you know, like pay attention to what your younger self was saying, because she has a lot to say. And this is like one advice I'd want to give everybody is to just take, take the time to document your life through your own words and eyes, because there is more value in it than like more value in it than you would think of. Like you, you wouldn't think of like revisiting some of your own past chapters, but that's exactly what you need sometimes to like, you know, find that confidence in yourself, find that faith in yourself that, you know, you, you, you're all right. And you're, you're doing okay. And you've always kind of like had your own back. So I think that, that kind of reaffirmed a lot of like the choices and decisions I was making at the time. Yeah. And for those who don't know writing, so hearing that you had this foundational journaling practice that allowed you to both create and process as well as reflect historically there is an element of writing in the artist's way but do you want to share like how the artist's way is bigger than that too and any takeaways you had from it and by the way julia cameron is the um author of the book and program the artist's way oh yeah i think the artist's way I think one of the premises, even with the writing part of artist way is that, you know, you don't, don't think about it as writing. It's just, it, it's again, just that it's, it's a tool to unlock that inner potential and creativity and, and whole kind of like the artist within you, right? Like that's exactly what it's called. And I think it was a very um, interesting to kind of like understand that the artist's way could be for anybody. Like, I don't think I would have called myself an artist before um joining kind of this journey with when you were one of the people who kind of like you know I took this journey with and and seeing uh how other people were 
developing the relationship with art and art could be so many forms and the artist within you is really about that creativity in which you live your life that sets you free to do you know again live live the life that you want to design and i think designing your life in some sense is also um an art and if that's the case then all of us are artists yes i couldn't agree more and <laughs> we both really resonated with different aspects of the program so morning pages is what julia cameron calls the writing aspect of the artist way and I think in the strategy world, it's very similar to what we would call a brain dump. (laughs) So you're meant to do it first thing in the morning, wake up and write stream of consciousness. And I am not a morning person as anyone who has ever worked with me can attest to. I'm a little bit more of a night owl. I always have been. But there's another aspect to the program that really resonated with me, which is called artist dates. And the premise of that is that you make intentional time to nurture your creative self. And again, that creative self can look like anything. It could look like model building, or it could look like writing, or it could look like visual art, or it could be working on a, you know, your car or clean, you know, a deep clean of the house can be art, you know, and what, but the, it was, a framework for asking you to create intentional time and loving time because it's called a date to nurture that part of yourself. And so sometimes for me, it was as simple as going to the park by myself and listening to a podcast because when else do I have time to just sit and listen and get inspired by something or go to an art gallery or get coffee with an inspiring friend. Were there any memorable artist dates that you did while you were doing the artist way? You know, that is something that I was never really good at. Uh, <laughs> inspiration from you. And you just made the artist dates sound so, um, like, I don't know, the, the good laissez-faire life, you know, and I feel like, like you made it feel deserving and worthy, worthy. And I think, even like well long long after like I'm not really doing the artist way program anymore even though I do my morning pages Mm -hmm. I still kind of channel some of my Caitlin energy when I'm like oh I just feel like indulging in myself today so like for me what I kept um, out of the practice and kind of all of your examples was um, a day when I kind of want to indulge in myself I'll go to like a nice coffee shop and pay like my four pounds for for a cappuccino which I I could just make it home and like just sit and people watch, read, write, whatever it is. But that I think um, is is one way to kind of like celebrate myself a little bit. So I've I've taken some inspiration from you there. Celebrating yourself is so important, and for people who have experienced burnout. The idea of doing anything laissez-faire for a little while is so counter to the way you've been operating that led you to burnout. That for me, those things were very challenging at first. And I think for some of the people we did the artist way with as well, who were more resistant to the artist date portion of it, because it feels like it's not productive. But I feel like if I can trick myself 
into loving doing nothing or loving that $4 (laughs) indulgent coffee where my only job is to sit and enjoy that coffee, then maybe I can rewire some of the burnout, you know, the tendencies I have that got me to a state of burnout and hopefully repair some of that. And that's like my thinking, not my psychological perspective on it, but that's how I try to trick myself into doing it. (laughs) I think you do have something there though. And what you say about rewiring is really, really important because I feel like slowing down is is very much unnatural these days to like what we're conditioned to be. And it does require practice. And that's something that, you know, rituals like this really, really do help. And one of the kind of like rituals that I've consistently maintained over the last few years is my morning ritual of like waking up, meditating, doing my pages, making my cup of coffee, sometimes tending to the plants, like depending on if they need water or not. But like that has been the most consistent part of my life through all the changes that I've been through over these so many years, like living in different homes and countries and different emotional states. That stability of those rituals has really made slowing down a consistent practice in my life. And I can can tell that the periods that I fell off the grid with my morning pages I could physically tell how it was cluttering my life and mind up. And the moment I kind of like got back into more of a consistent rhythm with it, um, it just felt freeing to like let it out on the page and, you know, kind of find that freedom in in the ritual itself. I love that. And to me, what you're describing is not a hard to reach standard of a morning routine. We read these things in like the cut, you know, New York (laughs) magazine and like check out a so-and-so entrepreneur's morning routine. And it's like, I go for a 10 mile jog. I make freshly pressed green juice, you know, this, and it feels like so daunting. And what you're describing is, you know, so soft it's like the word that comes to mind and slow, like you said, but slow in a really juicy way, like a really affirming way. You know, and- you make a really good point about um, sometimes these things feeling very unattainable. And I, I think that's kind of what my barrier was for the biggest time. Like, how do I kind of like break this down for me? And at the end of the day, like the, the like you said, soft and kind of I have it on a post-it here is gentle actions. And I think that's that's like, what is your gentle action? Because I know people who like that 10, mi- 10 mile, if that's realistic, run in the morning uh, is a gentle action for themselves. And for me, that's like, hell no, like you're not going to be, you're not going to catch me doing that at, unless I'm like running for my life. But yeah, like, you know, like I, am, I, I love coffee and that's kind of like, you know, just making my own coffee in the morning is, is um, my gentle action towards myself. The other word you said too earlier was like ritual. And this is my ritual and taking something in that, like making coffee for myself and taking it out of this place of this is a thing I'm doing that's functional to survive so that I can grind all day and get my deliverables out the door, but instead making it like this moment of gentle action and taking care of myself and savoring it and tasting it and smelling it and having it be this ritual in a way that gives it a little bit more, I don't know, meaning in life instead of being the supporting character to 
working work, 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 um, or going to live my life in, in all of the things I need to do on my to-do list, I do think helps reframe and helps again with that, get out of that burnout Mm -hmm. mental state where it's like, I need to do this to do these other things, but rather Mm -hmm. I need to do this to care for me because I'm important. Yeah. And I, what you said about like, make coffee the hero of your day like coffee deserves to be the hero and i think <laughs> that's that's so beautiful because you're right like none of this would actually happen though if you don't slow down and say you know what i am going to take the 5 or 10 minutes to make my coffee as opposed to kind of like you know just like doing the instant thing and and grabbing it on my way out or whatever and like just taking whatever like smell like in this like stop and smell the roses like whenever that thing came into being like that that there is merit in that in like the really like slow moments of your life because that is when you get to kind of like acknowledge um why are you even doing something like be more in- intentional about it i think that's what i'm trying to say like anything that you do intentionally is going to add meaning to your life whether that's making coffee or writing a deck or changing the world how has this self-care personal development journey that you've been on influenced your work as a strategist oh that's a good question um you know i think it somewhere reminded me that strategy to me is a mindset not a career and it really allowed me to kind of get out of those lanes that you know like i am a social strategist or a brand strategist or a research strategist and and just kind of like think about strategy as the bigger picture like like the strategy inside everything like as the name of the podcast is and paraphrasing seneca here but like it, it really kind of like made me think of like i'm not meant for any one corner of the world so why should kind of like my strategic mindset be and i think that really opened opened up the way i think about strategy to think about to think about how I apply strategy and I think one of the reasons why I made the shift to where I am today is really kind of like acknowledging that I have a lot more to offer and that can have impact if I just open up the way I think about my career to think about if if I open up the way I think about where I can apply strategy and I think just elevate what I what I have to offer to the world you have so much to offer the world. <laughs> I has it been possible for you to bring some of that slowness into your work at all? And if so, how? And if not, how do you cope with that? You know, that's that's a very important question because if one of the things that I would want to kind of stress on is this whole idea of slowness or slowing down. It's a verb, right? It's it's constant. You like it's it's not like I learned the art of slowing down and that's it, one and done. I think it's it's a daily practice, and there'll be some days when you're better bet, better at it than not. And some days when you're not able to live it at all, and that's okay too, doesn't mean you have to go and relearn the art of slowing down. It just, you know, that that whole idea of practice and ritual and, and really being um, intentional about wanting to slow down. And I think one of the traps that um, of, of slowing down can feel like, oh, you're falling behind. So, so there's a distinction to be made here, like slowing down isn't falling behind. And, and as it kind of reflects, 
tying it back to like parallel to how it affects work is this constant kind of uh, productivity porn cycle that we are all in. And you're like, am I being productive enough? Am I doing enough? Am I being good enough? Can I do more? And I think that's a constant struggle. And when you're trying to kind of juxtapose that, but I want to be more intentional, but I want to kind of slow down. And I think there's always going to be tension between these two. And that's okay. I think the important thing is to kind of like, think of the sum of the whole. Like if you're still able to be more intentional than not, that is a win. And I think the important thing to remember here is that you're not going to really see that change in like the big sweeping wins, right? It isn't going to be like glaring in your face. Someone isn't going to give you an award for it. It's going to be in those really tiny moments, which are so easy to miss if you don't pay attention. And to make it a little bit more tangible, like I was just thinking of it um, a couple of days back, something that I would get very bothered by earlier is that if I was not included in a meeting that I was meant to be on, that I was clearly meant to be on, and earlier I would get very agitated and try to be like, oh, like, you know, why can't people just whatever, do their thing and like get really frustrated about it. And recently I started noticing that if I'm, if I am not on a meeting that I was supposed to be on, my reaction is like, oh, well, you know what? Okay. It's their loss. Because I know I would have added value here. Um, and this whole kind of nar narrative of access to me is a privilege. And it isn't just about like who gets access to me and how much I let people in. But it's also about like, I know I have a lot to offer. Um, do you get access to it? Are you deserving to get access to it? And part of it is, well, if you bring me in the room, then you have access to it. If you don't, then I get to spend that energy somewhere else. And I think that's how I've been practicing this more intentionally at work too like just being okay with what where do I allow access and where do I draw a strong, stronger boundary I think if there's a thing that burnout teaches us as well is that we have only a finite amount of energy to give things mm -hmm. and when you give and give and give to a job and I won't say work because I feel like mm -hmm like I share your perspective that work can be extremely broad. Mm -hmm. um, but let's say a job, then that can lead to that place of feeling like, well, I just don't have much more to give myself to the people I love, to the things I'm passionate about in the world, to my community, you feel disconnected, you start to shut down. And so reframing this idea of access, like, well, I only have so much and and it is a privilege to be able to use this energy for other people to benefit from this way of thinking that I'm bringing to them or my resources that I have. And I don't know, I'm, I just picture you like standing so tall and strong in that now. And that's so awesome and empowering. And I think it's any, you know, a little mindset shift that it is. anyone can start to adopt if they think about it that way. You know, something my coach uh, said to me to kind of help practice this more regularly is that what might you be able to do if you take the energy back? from here and I think that's what I it's kind of like a pull question for me now like whenever I kind of find myself getting agitated about something uh, I question myself that you know is this really worth it like if I just save my energy here what might I be able to do with and can I invest more in LWS can I show up for that lunch break can I kind of you know just just go 
for an artist day like that's that that making it that tangible with what i can do what else i can do with my energy really helps to practice it more consistently i want to talk you said you have a coach has mm-hmm. have you benefited from coaching is that something you would tell people to look into who may be facing something like burnout or the new year scramble of what am I doing? Um, has that helped you? A hundred percent. I think uh, I've been with my coach for over seven years now. And I think wow. it's been like, like literally like a journey of so much growth, right? And growth at different straight stages. And I, what I, I guess the answer, to answer your question, I'd say it, it really works for me because I, I am a person who likes accountability and I, I'm a person who kind of like finds it very hard to ask for support. So having a coach um, to open up to and kind of like work through some of these things, which I shy away from, like telling other people has really worked for me to open up to the people who are kind of really want to open up with. But what I really want to get at is for anybody who's kind of like seeking any sort of aid in any way, I think seek that support, whether that support is through a coach, a therapist, a community, a writing course, artist date, whatever it is, you know, but like, I think support is such an important part of living and in in your values, in your potential. And, you know, like, there is so much going on in the world, which can really make you question who you are and what your value is and there's, there's all sorts of narratives just waiting waiting to crush you and finding spaces for support is kind of like where you don't feel ins- insane and I think one of the I have to give a shout out to LWS here where I feel like I've that the community and kind of like all it embodies has really made me um, feel seen and not insane for kind of being who I am and having and holding such high standards for myself and for my life. And like, I think without the support of the community, I don't think I would have been able to speak as articulately as I am about my whole journey, my struggles and what I've done to um, support myself by the ways of the support of the community, the support of uh, my mentors, my family, my coach. And I think that's, yeah. So the key word here would be seek that support in whatever way works for you. Yeah. One way that I recently heard about too, that sounded so appealing to me as I'm thinking about where I'm going to draw support from this year, there's this kind of radical, mystical, pink haired, witchy woman who I've been following on social media for a long time. Her name is Gala Darling. And she has something that she calls her magical morning practice. And with a friend, so she has a buddy that she does this with, they have a little accountability practice where every morning, they send each other a voice note. And I believe it follows a certain template. Like I am just, you know, Hey, I think her friend's Natasha that she does this with. She Mm -hmm. says, Hey, Natasha, it's Gala. I'm setting out to have the, you know, a rock star day today. Like, here's what I'm hoping to feel, you know, throughout the day. Here's what I'm hoping to do. And to me, I'm like, that's so easy. I can just pick up my phone, record a little voice note, send it to a friend. But just knowing that someone Mm -hmm. is hearing you, whether it's the I'm putting the positive intention out there or knowing that that morning someone is expecting me to send them a voice note. If it's the morning where I don't want to get out of bed and I just want to send a voice note, 
I'm struggling to get out of bed. But then as soon as I start recording, it's going to be like, I want to get out of bed, right? Like I'm struggling to get out of bed, but I'm going to do it, Natasha. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for a walk around the block. And now I've already looped in and created that support so easily. So I don't think it, you know, it always needs to be a coach, like you said, Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, doing a big undertaking like the artist way. If you can just find that one friend or your partner or someone that you can reciprocally collaborate with on the process, like a great creative art director, (laughs) copywriter pairing or something, right? That it helps a lot. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it there. It's just about that collaboration, that partnership of like, you know, whether that's for accountability, whether it's just for a check-in, whether that's to build off of each other. Like that's like at the end of the day, like we're all human beings and we all need connection. And that's what support is, is just a form of connection to know that you're okay and you've got this. Sometimes you just need that reminder. Yeah. So as we near the end of our conversation, I'm going to ask you the classic research question, which is what did I not think to ask you today that you were hoping to talk about anything? You know, we covered this a little bit, um, but I kind of don't want to miss miss the opportunity of talking about like what's really hard about Mm. um, about kind of slowing down and we talked on with a little bit of like, you know, it is kind of like a continuous um, it's, it's a verb and not like a it's a journey, not a destination. But something that I've been reflecting on lately in this what's in this whole kind of journey is that slowing down really is a way to reacquaint yourself with yourself, right? And that means mm-hmm. that you're going to kind of like revisit every decision and every choice and every kind of like part of life you've lived. And that that can also mean that it's going to really feel confrontational to like justify and and defend those choices of the life you've lived in and loved in and lost in and say that, you know what, maybe that didn't work out. Maybe that's not for you. And it, that can feel like an attack sometimes. And I think the hardest part about this is not being hard on yourself. And that's kind of where um, we don't talk about the hardness of this, like while there is so much merit and so much to get out of like um, the process of slowing down and really reacquainting yourself with yourself. Um, it's, it's really emotional. It can be really emotionally draining. So sometimes, and I'm definitely one of them, but people get obsessed with like growth and like being a better person and like living in, in your potential and like doing the right thing. And sometimes it's really just okay to, to do the easy thing and to just kind of like let yourself be and, not have to kind of like prove that you're growing and prove that you're slowing down and prove your choices and just be like, you know what? I fucked up there. That's okay. Tomorrow is another day. And I'll I'll kind of practice this again. So really, really want to underscore how important it is to be kind to yourself in this whole journey because it can be very, very confrontational. Yeah. And I see the parallels between what you're describing and how you end up burnt out from something like a job. Because if if it's that you are doing all the things and you're the person that everyone relies on in, in the company, and how do I make myself completely indispensable? And then you lead to a place where maybe you're burnt out. Um, it can be very easy to fill 
the space up that you've created if you are trying to create space or if you're making a change or you're able to take burnout leave, it can be very easy to go in and say, okay, well, now I am going to do all the things to be my best self. <laughs> and and now all of a sudden you've created the same, I need to be accomplished. I need to be there wherever, somewhere other than where you are in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so to truly, I think, correct and heal some of the behaviors that are inherent and celebrated in our industry, it does require that discomfort you're describing. We're like, oh, when I stop doing all the things, there I am. Like there, there's whatever is going to come up. There are the things I was trying not to think about or um, the things I was trying not to I was working away um, and they'll be there. That's hard. Yeah, just sitting, sitting with them is hard. But the full full sentence there really is that sitting with it and really just letting yourself feel what you're feeling has so much value because you kind of like finally listen to the thing that you were meant to listen to in the first place to overcome it. So we often just skip the step of like sitting with it because you're like, oh, it's inconvenient and uncomfortable. But sitting with it has so much merit. And I kind of want to give you a shout out on this one, because I think the first time I actually consciously sat with my feelings was when you kind of did the art therapy exercise um, at the Mexico retreat with our lovely West. And just sitting with those this uncomfortable feelings and thoughts and like coming to the end of the exercise where you learn to become friends with them was like a game changer for me to, you know, just just be like, oh, you don't have to like intellectualize everything. Just sit with it and it will tell you what you need to hear. So I think yeah, there is real, real value in kind of just sitting in that ickiness yeah. for a bit. And the thing is, is as strategists, we're primed to, like we know this is true. We're primed to know this is true because anyone who's ever run a focus group or moderated mm-hmm. an interview, for example, the truth always comes out in that like little moment where at the very end of the interview, you say, do you, you know, do you have any questions for me? And then they say something that really rocks your world or they <laughs> ask you a question that totally reframes your thinking about whatever. Mm-hmm it is you were trying to learn in the first place, or they just make one offhanded comment that totally blows your mind. But Mm -hmm. if you weren't there specifically with the intention to listen, (laughs) you would have never learned. And so how do you bring that intentionality back to yourself and truly just listen and listen to the whispers before they become the screams. <laughs> I think this needs to be like a disclaimer for all strategists that we should just practice the strategy of life on ourselves as, as well as we do it at, at work. Because honestly, that's what makes us better strategists, right? Like opening your mind, opening your, your kind of world outside of your narrow lanes and kind of like the questions you're supposed to have answers to and like the latest innovations you're supposed to be knowing and like the latest culture reports you're supposed to be supposed to have read I think outside of all of that when you just think about life that's what makes your mind richer and obviously it's going to make your work richer where can people find you on the internet anywhere (laughs) Are you fully off? (laughs) I'm I'm still very much on. I'm just kind of like choosing um, more intentionally um, Mm -hmm. as with everything else, like what, what I want to share, but you can like, I'm, I'm, if you Google me, you'll definitely find me on LinkedIn on Instagram, wherever, like I'm there. I'm just like what I'm saying, maybe a bit more 
um, less frequent or more intentional, as I like to think of it. And as mentioned, Nishida, you're one of the leads in Ladies Who Strategize. Hopefully in the show notes, we can drop the link since we talked about LWS a lot. And is there anything else you want to promote or talk about today, direct folks' attention to? Uh, I think since we are talking about LWS, I think that's definitely one thing that I would like to call out that the importance of community and like, if you are um, a female or non-binary strategist anywhere in the world, our community is open. So definitely apply. But even if you don't kind of like meet that criteria, like find yourself uh, a community that you can kind of really um, let yourself be seen in. So I think that's, that would be uh, what I would encourage people to do. Well, thank you so much for being here, Nishida. I'm so excited for folks to hear this and get to think about life strategy. Thank you. And I think as one parting thought for everybody, uh, if I could leave leave you with is something that kind of brought me to this point in my life is really reflecting on the fact that lessons that we're meant to learn will keep repeating till you learn them. So slow down and pay attention to what those lessons might be. Even the parts, you know, like listen to like all of it, all parts of you, even the parts you kind of want to hide and shy away from. Because like I said, those are probably the ones that will really set you free to lead your life, not just live it. So thank you for allowing me to say that. Yes, yes, yes. Plus one. If you have an idea, question, or you want to push back on something you hear in the episode, go to thatsnotaninsight.com and leave a message or voicemail for me. The best and most interesting messages will be added to future episodes. The Strategy Inside Everything is produced by me, Adam Pirno. If you like what you've heard, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Actually, I have no idea if that helps or if it's ever done anybody any good. If you really want to help the show and you liked what you heard, share it with someone else who you think will get something out of it. That's the best way to help the show and keep the conversation growing. New music for the strategy inside everything is by Luke Halizna. You can learn more at halizna.com. If you like what you're listening to, you can also go to Luke's Patreon and make a donation. It's at patreon.com slash Find links to both in the show notes. If you want to learn more about your host, Adam Pierno, you can find it on adampierno.com. Learn about my books, speaking, and consulting practice. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.